Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. I'm uh, having a little deja vu of the time when I first met Louis. After hearing his testimony, I almost don't want to preach. I think we can just go home. But I spent a week preparing this, so i got to let this word out. I feel like a lot of weeks I come and I, I'm faithful, I stand, I deliver. And some weeks the message just burns and churns in me and i got to get it out. And i just got to preach it. This is one of those weeks where I really have been wanting so badly to speak these words. And, they, and I want to thank you, Lewis, for sharing today because it's not an exaggeration when I say to you that thinking about your story and your life helped me actually understand this passage in a much deeper way. Um, it's not theory. God's doing this. He is releasing people every day. And it is an amazing thing that he does. Every one of us in Christ has been given new life and a second chance. Last week, we talked about the message of the cross we learned that it's a difficult message because it calls on people to admit that they're sinful and in need of saving. And that's not an easy thing to get people to admit. But we also learned last week that it is an essential message, didn't we? An essential one. Because this is the only message that deals with the very real problem of sin and the guilt we bear. This morning, I want to look at the message of the resurrection. The message of the resurrection. And the title of the message is Risen with Christ. Risen with Christ. I love the illustration that Heath has done this week for the the message. I don't know if you quite get what that that is, but we usually think of Jesus' resurrection with a vibrant Jesus with nail-pierced hands, smiling. It's always after the resurrection. But I love this picture because it is in process of rising again. This is Jesus getting up in the slab in the tomb And an angel is pushing back the stone. And I love that picture because it reminds me that it's not just some finished thing Jesus did. He was dead and he rose to life. And we've got a little snapshot of that when it was happening. That really is more of an accurate picture of where we are. Each of us is rising with Jesus. And just as we died with him in the crucifixion, we rise with him in his resurrection. And I want to explore this morning from Romans 6, verses 5 through 14, why that matters in general and why that matters to us. Here's the word of God. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised, excuse me, we will also be raised as he was. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also share his new life. We are sure of this because Christ rose from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. He died once to defeat sin, and now he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. 
Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its lustful desires. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life and use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. So we learned last week that the message of the cross is very important. You remember this quote. I'm sorry, in that last verse, sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer subject to the law, which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace. Do you remember that John MacArthur excerpt that I read for you last week that really summarizes the message of the cross? Human wisdom sometimes sees the immediate cause of a problem, but it does not see the root, which always is sin. It may see that selfishness is a cause of injustice, but it has no way to remove selfishness. It may see that hatred causes misery and pain and destruction, but it has no cure for hatred. It can see plainly that man does not get along with man, but does not see that the real cause is that man does not get along with God. Man's own sinful nature is the cause of his problems, and he cannot change his nature. Even if human wisdom could recognize the problem, it does not have the power to change it, but God has the power. And that's the message of the cross. And this, this morning from Romans 6, we pick up on that just briefly. We touch on it, that the truth is we die with Christ in his crucifixion. That when he was nailed to the cross, the Bible teaches us that in a very real way, we were nailed right up there with him. Look at what it says. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. That word should have some power when spoken in the United States of America. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. What does it mean that we were crucified with Christ? What part of us died on that cross with Jesus? What part? Well, what it says is it's our old sinful selves. That's a very common English way of saying our sin nature, the old man, died on the cross with Jesus. And in that old sinful self, it describes that in that state, we were actually slaves to sin. So let me ask you something. Have you thought about that phrase? What does it mean that a person is a slave to sin? We know what it is when a person's a slave to another. It's that he has no freedom, no authority of his own. He must do whatever his master or her master commands. There is no negotiating. There is no arguing. There is just power and will and force and submission. That is slavery. So I pondered this. What does it mean to be a slave to sin? And I narrowed it down in my mind to one simple phrase. The slave to sin says, I have to. I have to. I have no choice. There is a force inside of me that doesn't give me any other option. When you're in the mall and an attractive lady walks by with skin-tight outfit on, and in your fallen nature, something in you says, all right, maybe your wife is sitting next to your girlfriend, and you got your sunglasses on, you're sneaking a look. But something that old nature says, I can't let her just walk by. i got to look. 
I have to look. Even if I act like I'm just scratching my head, I've got to look. And shift. guys, let's get real for a second. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you, are you, I, am I the only one who's ever felt this way? Years ago, of course, you know. <laughs> Give me a break. Every last one of you knows what I'm talking about. It's a force so deep and so driving. It's as if there's a magnet. You're like, I can't let this opportunity pass. I must look. I have to. Maybe it's when somebody openly disrespects you in a very public way. And in your culture, in your upbringing, in your sin nature, you say in your heart, I have to hurt him back. Sometimes you say, I have to kill him. I don't have a choice. That's the way it works out here. That's the way my heart runs. You disrespect me. I have to hurt you badly. It's not a choice. It's not some rational thought out process. You just instinctively say, you do that to me. I have to hurt you. Maybe someone offers you money at the cost of your integrity and you love money so much that in your mind you say, it's really no question. I'll pretend to go through a struggle. Should I really? What's the price of my integrity? But in the end, you know what you're going to do. You have to get paid. You have to. And that's what it means that we were once slaves to sin was that there was a force that drew us towards things and it seemed at some level like maybe we have options, but in fact we didn't. The force was so great, the hook so deep that you would say in your heart about a number of situations, I'm sorry, I've got no choice. I have to. Who could blame me? Who wouldn't do this? I have to. That is what slavery to sin means. And that's why we find such great hope in the word of God in Romans 6.14. Sin is no longer your master. For you are no longer subject to the law which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free By God's grace. The part of us that died with Christ on the cross was that sin nature that was a slave to sin, which told us, I have no freedom. I have no choice. I was commanded by my heart, my flesh to do this. I simply obeyed. Like an animal, we say, we did what we're supposed to do. You know, that's the word out there. Everybody says, you got to do what you got to do. How about you've got to do what you should do? Why do we talk like we're victims of our own fate? Because we were slaves once, but we are set free in Christ. You don't have to talk like that anymore. Sin's mastery over us died on the cross when we were crucified through faith. When we receive what Christ offers, we ourselves are nailed to that cross with him in that old nature. And the mastery and the power of sin to dominate us, command us, is gone. You may not make that choice every time, but for the first time in Christ, you now have a choice. You are free in your spirit to say, I don't have to do anything. I can follow God instead of what my heart is telling me I have to do. That's a great power that comes from the crucifixion of Christ. But if the story ended there, it would be a pretty lame gospel if you think about it. So a guy dies and he takes away your guilt, but that cannot engender the hope that the good news of Christ is meant to. And so there's another part of that story. We rise with him in his resurrection. We rise with Christ. Verse 7 says, For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also share in his new life. Here's what it's saying. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, he beat death. 
death. I, I, want, I want to break this down for you a little bit because I don't like preaching where it's too theological that everyone's fallen asleep and you don't hear actually what it's saying. So let me really break it down for you. Look, look up at me for a second, everybody. Especially you joggers and uh, granola munchers and everybody trying so hard to be... Listen to me. You're going to die. You are going to die. There's nothing you can do. Don't stop jogging and all that stuff. I'm just, you know, I'm poking fun because I'm insecure about my complete lack of fitness. But (laughs) let me tell you something. You are going to die. I wish I could tell you there's a way around it. A loophole, a lawyer told me that if you... But there is no way you're going to die. And you know what? Every second that passes, every second I'm preaching right now, you are one second closer to your death. It's coming. Even when you're not paying attention, it's coming. Life in one perspective is nothing more than a slow, unceasing 24-7 march towards the end. That's what life is. And without Jesus, that bleak picture is everything. No wonder then, get drunk, have some sex, get rich, try to squeeze as much out of this little show as you can. And you know what that's like compared to the eternal life which God is offering? I read in one commentary, it said, it's like coming to the Grand Canyon with a little trowel in your hand, a little shovel, and to turn your back on the Grand Canyon and dig in going, look what I'm making, man. This is an awesome hole. And it's like, turn around, fool. Look at what God did. You're, you're so impressed with your little hole. You're going to die. And without Jesus, this little thing you're digging is all you're ever going to have. That's it. It's the whole show. You better squeeze a lot out of it because you know that it's coming. The end. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he won. He beat death. And you know, like when 53 men bring home a Super Bowl trophy. Sorry, Jared. I had to go all the way back to 1985 to find a legitimate winner. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm teasing. This is a team that when I was a teenager caused me to dream big dreams. This is the 85 Chicago Bears. And when they won the Super Bowl, everyone in the city high-fived each other like we ran a touchdown or something. We won the Super Bowl, we said. We identified with him. And maybe that's a comparison to what we get when Jesus walked out of the tomb, but it's incomplete. Because unlike this analogy, when these guys won the Super Bowl, we didn't get rings and we didn't get their salary, did we? You can identify with it, but if that's all you've done with it, the resurrection of Jesus is you identified in this distant way, like, all right, the guy who runs my religion won over death, all right. It means nothing to you. You don't just celebrate what Jesus did for himself. It is meant for you in a far deeper level than this. You identify and you receive the full benefit of what Jesus did when he beat the one uncertain thing in this life which causes dread in every heart, but which we have absolutely no power to deal with. We are all going to die. There's nothing you can do about it. And God, in his mercy, did something about that problem. And when he beat death, we all win. And so he says, we are sure of this because Christ rose from the dead and he will never die again, death 
no longer has any power over him. So what this passage teaches us is that someday when we breathe our last breath, we face that end knowing that because of Jesus, death from this life is only a passage into another life which never ends. You know, all of us are going to die. We're going to cross through a curtain into a fog that if we're honest, no one really knows what's on the other side. We only have our faith. But this faith we place in Jesus is not a blind man's crutch. It is a reasonable, well-thought-through, well-evidenced faith. A faith that a person with eyes wide open can still cling to. Because it isn't just something we give to the weak. It is something that we give even to the strongest of us. It is the greatest news ever told. But the greater news still is that not only is it a promise for us when we croak from this life, but it is a rising to a new life even now. I mean, Lewis's story dramatically illustrates that, but I have the same story, and don't you? Think about who you were before Christ, the things that held you down, the things that made you say, I have to, because I just had no choice, and think about what God is doing in each of your lives as you walk with Christ. He is doing things in you that you don't even recognize. I often say to people, there's no way that the guy I am today is the guy that that the guy I knew when I was 17 was going to grow up to become. The guy when I was 17, if he kept growing up that way without Jesus, he would have been a jerk. You would have hated me. Maybe you still hate me now, but you would have hated me a lot more. You might even kick me. Jesus changes people. The promise of the resurrection is power not only for after death, but in this life now. And that is really promising news. In a real sense then, the resurrection power of Jesus is for this life too. It begins the moment you place your trust in him. You have power to become someone new. And so I want to ask this question as I close out this message. How do we embrace this new life? How does the resurrection power become a part of our ongoing story of transformation? How does the fact that Jesus rose from dead change us? Well, one thing I can say is we need to accept our new reality. We need to accept our new reality. Look what it says in verses 10 and 11. He died once to defeat sin, and now he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. <clears throat> that word consider is a very strong word. It says a complete and intentional changing of the way you think. It's saying, accept something as real, even when in the moment it doesn't feel real, accept it because it's happening. And if, you know, listen, there are things that are true of us which are true whether we've accepted them or not. Sometimes we try to fight what's true of us. We, den- we go into denial, but that doesn't make it any less true. And as long as you refuse to accept that reality, you're going to live in a prison. You're not going to have the life God meant for you if you keep denying the true reality of who you are in Christ and you live like a prisoner, like you're still a slave. Like Morgan Freeman's character in Shawshank Rebellion, who after being released, chose, he preferred to go back to jail. He didn't know how to live on the outside. His entire identity was of an inmate. He had no idea how to function in the free world. And many people in the church are like that. 
We haven't accepted the realities of what Christ has spoken and made real. It's all true of you, whether you feel it or you're living into it or not. It is situationally, factually true of you. Everything he says about what a Christian is, is true in your life right now. And the first step is to accept that new reality. What happens when you don't accept that reality? Would you advance the next slide there for me? This has got to be a record-breaking sermon. Hugh Hefner rarely shows up on sermon slides, but I'm not sitting here trying to judge or hate on a person. I'm using him simply to illustrate a point. When he was Hugh Hefner on the left, I mean, that's a playboy right there. Look at that guy. I, I, I'm straight, but I, I'm a little drawn to that guy. Look at him. Right? That's a sexy man right there. And so he lived out that reckless, youthful celebration of carnality, of pleasure. He built an entire business empire on capitalizing, hooking into the same thing we all feel, even if we don't look like that. We vicariously live through him. And many, many young men, they lost their innocence looking at the things his company produced. Fast forward like 180 years to the picture on the right. Truth is, He's still living exactly like he did in his 20s. Nothing's changed. In fact, he's just multiplied by three, okay? I mean, he's not content with just one woman. He's got to have several. It's almost like he's desperate to keep the momentum going. And yes, his money will buy him entrance into the chicest, hippest clubs. But all the young people in that club know what time it is. He's the only one who doesn't know what time it is. And here's the point of all this. There are things that are true of us, but if you will not accept them, your whole life will be an exercise in ostrich-like denial of the truth. Let me ask you, do you live truly as a former slave set free? Do you realize that's true of you? You can black out that slide. There are some triggers, too. each of us in our old nature have a trigger. This is one of my triggers. A trigger is something that reminds you of who you used to be, that old nature that was crucified on the cross, but it calls out to you, it beckons you, it pulls you into something that is familiar. Who knows what this song is? Oh man, I'm about to start dancing, watch out. Okay, this song, (laughs) you don't want to see that. Trust me, I'll break something. This song is called Hypnotic Tango, and it immediately brings me back to the parties I went to when I was in college. You don't have to like it. I don't care how you feel about this song. It moves my spirit, man. And whenever I hear it, whether it's in the car or whatever, it could be dead winter. I'll roll down the windows, and I'll drive faster. This song for me, you can turn it on. I'd kill it. (laughs) It's a trigger. And it forces my mind to long for the memories of that old nature, to somehow remember them more fondly than they were. Maybe you have some triggers in your life, things that want to pull up to resurrect that man who should be dead, that woman you would put to death on the cross, it it wants to pull them out. Maybe it's a straight compliment from a stranger. Man, you look good in those jeans. And you're like, oh, thank you, these old things. And all day long, you're turning it around your mind like, ooh, I miss the days when I could elicit lust in the, in the eyes of men and, 
And so you start working out more because you like that feeling. You like what it feeds in you. It reminds you of when you were like 16, even though you're not anymore. Maybe somebody just getting in your face. A little punk, some kid who thinks he's got everything all figured out. He's just disrespecting you to your face. You're like, oh, man, I wish I could just, you know, the old way, right? I, I, I would love to do something to you. But that's the old you. It's calling out. It's so powerful. You can say, oh, I'm redeemed. I'm a, I'm a man of peace. I'm a lover, not a fighter. You know, you can say all that, but that's just not honest. The truth is somewhere deep in there, there's a hook in you, isn't there? And that trigger starts pulling it out. And what Paul is saying here is, I know you feel that. That old guy is still lingering. There's residue. But you need to tell your heart and your mind, you are not that guy anymore. Hugh Hefner needs to look at the picture on the left and go, that was once me, hot dog. How many guys ever get to say, I once looked like that? I can't say that. But he also needs to look in the mirror and go, yeah, but that ain't me anymore. This is who I am today. It's my stage of life to pass down wisdom, to leave a legacy, to build something for the generation coming. And he's just not. How about you? Are you telling yourself when those triggers are trying to resurrect the old nature, that is not who I am anymore? I remember it. I still feel like dancing. But I know that who I am today is far better than who I was. Let me give you another thing here. What happened here? How do we get to the beginning, guys? There we go. Devote your body to God. And that's the last thing I'll say. That's the other way that we embrace this resurrection power. Make it ours. See it course through our lives and turn us into new creatures. Recently, I had a very humbling experience. Monday's my day off, and uh, it happened that we, all our kids were in school, and Jean and I were both milling around the house, and we had the same thought at the same time. Hey, we should go jogging together. Now, you guys know that I, I tore a couple of ligands in my knee, but I'm still fighting the reality of that. I just refuse to think that I'm like this guy who's got to hobble around. So I was feeling pretty good that day, limber. And so I suited up. I put on my knee brace. I put in my iPod, and I jacked up the, I cranked up Eye of the Tiger. That song, I don't know. if You've got to be dead in your heart not to let that song affect you. I mean, when I hear Eye of the Tiger, dun, 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 I was going to play it, actually, but I had too much music in one sermon. But I had that going, and I started out like this. You know how it is when the weather's nice and you're feeling good. And I started running, and I left Jeannie in the dust. She's trailing behind me. I'm just going, oh, yeah, I owe the tiger. And you got to know something about my neighborhood. The first part of our street is about a 3% uphill grade. It's subtle. But you know, if you've got a treadmill, 3% will kill you. Okay? Well, the problem about music that psychs you up is you're not really getting honest with yourself in the first part of that run. It's pure adrenaline coursing through my veins. I'm just cruising. But we get to the end of our street, and I know right away I'm in big trouble. Something isn't right down here, in here, up here. Something's just not right. I felt like vomiting. And pride alone kept me going for the next two blocks like nothing was wrong. I'm just, come on, Jeannie. But inside, I'm going, Jesus, come soon. I, I, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> and I'm having a war with myself. What am I doing? i got to stop. And my wife's looking at me, and she's going to think I'm an old, crusty guy. And so finally, we get right in front of this park that's about the halfway point. And I go, <laughs> Hold on. And I faked like my knee was hurting too much, but it was actually everything was hurting too much. 
I said, I really can't. I got to go back. And she's like, yeah, you should take it easy. Make sure you walk the whole way. You, you power walk, honey. That's good. Exercise. And the whole time she's not helping. It's making me feel more and more like a husband. And so she goes, I, I'm just going to, because I still feel good. I'm going to finish the run. and I'm going to come back and find you. So I changed the music. I changed the playlist. I'm listening to Lionel Richie songs all the way back. I'm walking a long, humbling, horrible walk where I'm grieving and wrestling in my spirit going, what is this? Who am I? What have I become? And a voice I felt from God was saying, just wake up and accept that this is you. You once ran fast, but you're going to run in a different way in this stage of your life. You don't have to be impressive to people in your physical prowess. No one will look at you and quake in fear anymore, as they once did. No, you're entering a new chapter. I'm going to use you in a different kind of run. Accept it. Accept this new reality and adjust the way you use your body to live into that new reality. Stop trying to run like you're 15. Start running like you are a half-crippled 43-year-old. Take it easy, and you might get that heart moving again. Gasp. I mean, power walking? Are you serious? There's nothing dorkier than power walking to me. I just can't, I can't do it. But I'm like, wow, that's, that's my life stage now. This is going to be me on the street with little weights, the little girl weights, you know. And, but I'm accepting it. And not only should I accept it in here, I've got to live into it. I've got to adjust the actual use of my body around who I really am. I'm not saying to those of you who still have some fighting, you don't lay down and die, okay? I mean, keep going, trying to be as healthy as you can. But be honest about every level of your life, especially your spiritual life. Do you use your body in reflection of the new reality you live in? Or do you still use your body like you're a slave to things that you have choices over? How do you use your body? Because the Bible teaches us that the body is one of the primary battlegrounds in which the struggle against sin is fought. We think that sin is always fought up here, but in fact, it's actually duked out in flesh. Just look at Scripture and how many references there are to the flesh as being very, very directly involved in spiritual warfare. The flesh is where it gets fought out. And so Paul says, make sure that you don't neglect the fact that your flesh must be devoted to Christ and to God's glory. And so I call you to the same reality. You are set free in Christ Devote your bodies into that. Live into it. Use your bodies every possible which way to live for the glory of God. And the glorious effect of that is that which is devoted to something clean will not easily be used for that which is wretched. In my home, I have many sinks. One of them is my kitchen sink and another is my utility sink in the basement. Oh, man, very different purposes. When my dog vomits on the, the, the foyer rug, I do not wash it in my kitchen sink. Aren't you glad, those of you who have eaten at my house? We don't wash the dog vomit in the kitchen sink because that's where we wash the dishes, man. That's disgusting. We don't rinse poopy diapers in the kitchen sink. That is a clean sink devoted for the preparation of food. Where does all that junk go? It goes to the utility sink. I don't care what goes in. I'll put my kid right over there and go ahead and have your diary in there. Just run the water. That sink is foul. It's worth nothing. I don't care what goes into it because it has no value. But the kitchen sink, 
I guard like a hawk. When my children have something gross and they're walking through the kitchen sink, they always hear, stop! Where are you putting that? That's our food sink, dummy. That's a devoted sink. It's too busy being devoted to clean things to drag around all that vomit and poop and all that other nonsense. And we have missed the importance of that lesson. The way you devote your body, the way you use it, has everything to do with how you see yourself and what reality you're actually living into. And God tells us that we are set free, no longer slaves to sin. We are risen with Christ, victorious, and we will live this new life even now. Will you use your bodies and every resource at your disposal to live for Jesus and into his glory? You do that, and the resurrection power of Jesus will change everything. It will every day make you into a new creation. And you and all those around you will marvel at the wonder of the good thing which God has done. Amen? So much more to say, but I think we just need to talk to God now. So let's do that. I'm going to invite you, as the praise team comes back up here, I'm going to invite you to just respond to God in what he has allowed you to hear today. Do you know that the slave you used to be The person who always said, I have to, I have no choice, I must obey. That person died on the cross with Jesus. And if you're still stuck in that slavery, well, Jesus wants to set you free even today. You don't have to be that slave anymore. And as he shed off the grave clothes and walked out of that tomb and left it empty, we won along with him. Real power to actually deal with that problem of death which is coming, that decay, that decline, that is always present, God has power for us to live a whole new life, one that will last forever. That's the good news. Maybe for some of us where we need to respond is how we appropriate that into our lives. Maybe you're living in denial that you are actually bought by the blood of Christ. You are set free. Are you still living like a slave, thinking like a slave, making excuses like a slave? You are set free. That is you in Christ. Whether you feel it or not, that is true of you right now. Will you accept it deep down? This is me now. I'm not who I used to be. And then will you actually change the way you use your body? living into this new reality that I will not treat my life like a utility sink. It is a devoted life, one that belongs to the glory of God, one which I will not see dirtied trivially. So I'll leave you with that. And I'm going to ask you just to spend a couple minutes. As the band plays quietly, let's just get before God and let's respond to him in our own way, can we? God, I thank you. We thank you for how many beautiful statements you've given us in Scripture about who we are now. We are loved, chosen children of God. We are free, no longer slaves. We are warriors. We are rulers. We are servants of the Most High God. Lord, we're sometimes so slow to believe that what you call us, we really have become. 
So give us now through your Holy Spirit firm assurance that when we died with Christ and rose again with him, all of those things became true of us. Help us, Lord, to live pressing into the truth that you spoke about us. Help us to no longer live like we're slaves to anyone but our God. For you, we will bow our knees. For you, we will serve at any cost. Thank you for setting us free from every lesser master. You alone deserve the glory for our lives. May your resurrection power, which we celebrate today, flow through this church each life, making all things and all people new in Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.